In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A reading from the second book of Samuel. David went up to bring the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David amid the festivals. As soon as the bearers of the ark of the Lord had advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Then David girded himself with a linen apron, came dancing before the Lord with abandonment. As he and the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy, the sound and the sound of a horn, the ark of the Lord was brought in and set in its place within the tent. David had pitched the tent for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When he finished making these offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of, of hosts. Then he distributed among the people to each man and each woman in the entire multitude of Israel a loaf of bread, a cut of roasted meat, and a raisin cake. With this, all the people left for their homes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So hopefully it will become clear why I read that. But um, So I'm going to start with Mary as, oh, dang it, how come that's off-center? Honest to God. Um, it was... Um, okay, I want to know right now, who's been messing with my, oh, dang it. Um, I'm going to talk about the Ark of the Lord as Mary is the new Ark, but before I do, I just, I felt bad because I forgot to mention this last time when covering Mary as the new Eve. <clears throat> so, Mary free from original sin would have been unfallen, and this sounds kind of strange. Um, like, think of this, because of original sin, the world is broken. And even our theology of ourselves and of God, it's fallen. So a lot of pe times people would say, oh, why is God so angry? Um, to be honest, I think that's part of the fallen nature of man that simply interprets God wrong. Does that make sense? But we interpret each other. We interpret God wrong. Um, and so think about this. Mary would have been, had unfallen grace. So she would have been completely open to God. And it just, like, an unfallen way of relating to other people, an unfallen way of learning the ways of God, an unfallen way of seeing each other. I'm not saying she was all-knowing, but, um, you know, that's God alone. But completely open to see true theology, see other people as they are. Does that make any sense? Um, no, it didn't. That's what we mean by um, the, her unfallen nature. All of us, because we're still suffering from the effects of original sin, all theology is bad. Even if you know, like, Lydia. Um, like, I think I know Lydia. She's fairly good. She has a gambling habit, um, small-time prison. But I really don't know her completely because of my fallen blindness. Does that make sense? So I have to kind of wow, would have been like to know the Virgin Mary of somebody whose heart was completely unfallen. That's all I wanted to say. Um, anyhow, I use that because sometimes people, their theology, it gets a little crazy. Uh, God is angry or this or that. I just think that's a reflection of our fallen nature. That's how we interpret things. But I want to switch it to another Old Testament image, Mary as a new ark. Um, so, you know, Catholics may... Say, or sorry, Protestants say that Catholics make up these titles for Mary, such as the New Ark or the Queen of Heaven or the Queen of the Church. Hopefully in this class, I'll kind of, by the end, you'll say, no, no, this is in Scripture. And so going back to the Ark of the Covenant, um, now I know you probably everybody here saw the documentary Raider of, of the Lost Ark. Um, <laughs> but... Um, this, uh, the many parts they got wrong. I love the movie, but where it says the ark was lost, that's not, it's not like we misplaced it, at least of all in Egypt. Um, it wasn't misplaced. And so, like, and this drives me up the wall. Like, the History Channel always has these quasi-religious programs where they'll say, oh, 
We found the ark, and after two hours of watching this history channel, they'll say, oh, we found the ark in uh, Ethiopia, and we'd show it to you, but we're not allowed to. Like, <laughs> you could have cut to the last two minutes. Um, but uh, so the Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, the, the ark was lost. So even at the time of Christ, the temple was thriving in Jerusalem. Um, it's a center of Jewish worship. Uh, the, the most important thing, everything had to happen at the temple. But there's one thing missing in the temple. What was it? The Ark of the Covenant. They had the Holy of Holies, but the Ark of the Covenant was lost. Um, but So what is this Ark? Most importantly, what is in the ark? The ark was kept in the, as the dwelling place of God on earth. Um, the, and the reason why the whole sanctuary, the temple was built, was to house God, well, really house God, who dwelt amidst his people in the ark. And so the ark was a sacred chest that contained three things. Just as a test, what are the three things the ark Remains of the um, Ten Commandments. Uh, actually, Aaron's staff. And in a golden ciborium, the manna. The, ark, the Ten Commandments, morality. The Aaron's staff, symbol of the high priest. And the bread of life. Um, and the most holy was the bread of life. But they all symbolize Christ as morality, Christ as high priest, Christ as the living bread. Um, uh, anyhow, um, the, the ark was the sign of the covenant with Moses. Um, so the Old Testament sign. Now, what did you do with the ark? Well, one, and they got this right in the documentary Raiders of the Lost Ark. You carried it into battle, um, kind of. Um, but the idea is that with the ark, with God on our side, we'll win all battles. Now, just think about this. Mary is the new ark. With Mary on our side, we'll win all battles uh, through her prayers. Um, and where the ark went, the glory cloud, the Holy Spirit went. And so they fought with the ark in the midst. They would always win, except um, there's a story that Israel had become very corrupt. Right At the time of Samuel, very corrupt. The priests are corrupt. They're losing this battle with the Philistines. Um, and so they say, oh, we'll take the ark. And oh, with the ark, we're going to win. This is important. Um, so they take the ark, even though they're not morality, acting religious, they want to use God to win their battles. And what happens? The worst defeat ever. And the ark is taken away. Um, and the point of that story is um, you don't get to use God. You don't get to ignore God on morality and way of life. And then when you need God, use God. Does that make any sense? So, um, uh, in fact, you know when it says you shall not carry the Lord's name in vain in the Old Testament? A lot of people think that means to say GD, which is inappropriate cussing. Uh, but that's actually not what it means. What it means to carry the Lord's name, think you carried the ark, is to misuse religion for war or violence or greed or let the televangelists are not going to be happy when they have to go to heaven because I think they use God's name for wealth. So the second commandment is against the misuse of religion. And that's the only commandment where God says, you do that and I will not forget it. So they misuse the ark, um, really, for the wrong purpose. And the ark is lost, and they put the ark next to this um, uh, pagan god of fertility, and it keeps falling over and breaking. <laughs> and finally, the whole city is beset with this illness, so they return the ark. But then when Babylon attacks the, the oh, well, sorry, so it's used in battle, but, um, but more importantly, it's for worship. Um, you worship with the ark. It was, it's what made the temple holy. Um, and <clears throat> so, like, if you have to keep the Sabbath, 
to keep the Sabbath is to offer bread and wine before the uh, tabernacle, and uh, the priest would eat it. That's a command. So when you say, I kept the Sabbath, it doesn't mean to lie around as a couch potato. It means to offer bread and wine with other people. The third thing is the Holy Spirit in the Greek overshadowed the tabernacle. So the ark is noted with the Holy Spirit. And what was the ark made of? One, acacia wood. And that's kind of important because if you translate it, it's called an incorruptible wood. It's very hard. It lasts forever. And God was very specific that you make it, the ark with acacia wood. Um, and anyhow, um, it's a very durable wood. Um, so it's called, quote-unquote, an incorruptible wood in Exodus. I like that. An incorruptible wood. And the first century historian Josephus wrote that the ark was made of a wood that was naturally strong and couldn't be corrupted. And then it had to be made with pure gold. Um, and the word pure in the Hebrew is actually the word for clean, clean of all impurities, um, beaten gold. Everything had to be made of gold, even the handles on it. Um, the one part that's wrong in here is that they have the wood poles. Even the poles had to be covered with gold. Everything had to be covered with pure gold. Um, also, you know, you hear Protestants say, oh, statues are graven images. Well, God demanded that two statues be placed on it, and that creates a seat. It's called the mercy seat, a place for God the Father to sit. But he commanded two golden cherubims. And then when you took the ark and it was when they traveled with it, you had to cover it with uh, a cloth. So the Levites, kind of our deacons, would take care of this. But what color would they clothe the ark in? Blue, yeah. Um, so the color of the ark is gold and blue. So the colors for Notre Dame are gold and blue. Um, so Mary is our new ark in reference to the purity, the incorruptibility, that would be immaculate conception. And how are you treat to treat the ark? Nobody is allowed to touch it. That's why you carry it with poles. And so the first time they try and move it to Jerusalem, you guys might remember the story, they put it in the back of a cart, and this poor guy, they're going over bumps, and he raises his hand to steady the ark and immediately dies. That's when they say, uh-oh, oh, we better start back over and take it to the hill country, to Obedinva's house, um, and it's kept there until David decides to bring it back. But you're not allowed to touch it. It's so pure, no human is allowed to touch it. So they didn't carry it right. You're not supposed to carry it on a cart. It has to be carried but never touched. Um, so... The center of Ju Judaism was a temple. The heart of the temple is the tabernacle. So what happened to the ark? Now, so skip the movie and the lost raiders and all that other stuff. Um, um, so in the book of Jeremiah, it says that before Babylon attacked, Jeremiah took the ark from the temple and hid it at Mount Nebo. Nebo, Nebo. Same mountain that Moses looked over and saw the promised land. Um, anyhow, it's east of the Jordan. And um, so in Second Maccabees, it's hidden. Um, and uh, it said it will remain hidden until the Holy Spirit overshadows again. And so the ark will be revealed um, uh, when the holy cloud, the glory cloud departed. But the ark will be revealed when Christ, uh, when the Christ comes. So Jews were waiting for a lot of things. They're waiting for the Christ. They're waiting for the return of the bread of life. They're waiting for the Lamb of God. Um, and they're waiting for the ark to be found. So um, anyhow, um, the ark will be revealed because there will be an overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord. 
Um, so if you remember, the glory cloud followed the ark. So um, according to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, um, uh, that uh, the ark departed, they're waiting for it, um, and the uh, ark was supposed to be inaccessible and inviolable. Um, it was only kept in the Holy of Holies. So every Jew would have known that they're waiting for the Messiah, the new Moses, but they're also waiting for the ark and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So um, there's this Jewish um, uh, tradition that the location of the ark would be revealed, um, this is in Second Maccabees, when God gathers all his people together, then it will be revealed. So here's my question. Where will God gather all his people? Really? What do you think? It's post falls? Um, where do you think God will gather all his people? Heaven. Okay, he got it. You could have a chocolate chip cookie. Um, so if you notice in the uh, book of Revelation uh, 12, you have this story that John um, sees the ark. And remember, Jews are waiting for the ark. So when John gets to see heaven, what does he see? The ark. And, ex you know, if you're Jewish, you're expecting to ar the ark to look like this. But, um, oh, I'm not good at changing the pictures. But he's shocked because the ark looks like this. Um, it's a woman. Um, and the woman is described as Mary. You know, 12 stars on her head. Um, it's pretty obvious. Mary is the ark. Well, at least a woman is the ark. But then you have to think, well, who is this woman who is the ark? Well, the descriptions fit Mary. So liturgically, when we celebrate the Feast of the Assumption, this is what we're f celebrating, that the Ark has been revealed. Um, and uh, I do love that. Uh, the shock is the Ark is the Virgin Mary. Mary is the Ark, and the Ark is accompanied with the presence of God, um, the overshadowing. And remember, would the Ark carry those three things? Are really Christ. Christ is the bread of life. Christ is the high priest. Christ is our morality. Um, so, um, also remember, the ark and the Holy Spirit always goes together. So, where the ark was, was an overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, let's see, um, I'm just going to read this, so hopefully you can figure this out. It says, Then the cloud covered the meeting tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud abode upon it and the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. So you'll know where the ark is because it's overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the ark had been missing from the temple for hundreds of years. So was the Holy Spirit. Um, and so they're waiting for the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit to reveal. Um, uh, anyhow, um, so, the same way, do you guys know the theology of the new Exodus real quick? Okay. So, everything that's in the Old Testament is in the New Testament, but everything in the New Testament is bigger than everything in the Old Testament. So, and it's a reading for this Sunday. You have Moses. As Moses speaks that a greater Moses will come, except the greater Moses He'll actually, his words will actually be the words of God. So they have Moses, but then in the New Testament, you're waiting for a new Moses. Moses brought the bread of life, but the Christ will have the bread of life return. Um, so you have a new Moses, a new Exodus, a new Passover. When will Christ be revealed? He'll start a new Passover. So at the Last Supper, uh, it's a Passover meal, and Jesus changes the words that he is the lamb, he is the bread, he is the wine. The apostles would have known, oh, this is the new covenant. So you have new Passover, new Exodus, new covenant, new promised land. Where's When the Old Testament prophets speak about this new promised land, they're in Israel. 
So the new promised land is not Israel. What is it? And a new temple. Uh, so it's new, 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 but there's also going to be a new ark. So Mary is the new ark of the new exodus. And with Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit and her are completely wedded together in the will of God. So just as Jesus is the new Moses, Mary is a new ark. Um, so, um, anyhow, I, that's pretty obvious. So if you look at that enunciation, you have that strange part about the angels uh, speaking about the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. The exact same Greek words um, is used for the Ark of the Covenant. So where the Ark is, there the uh, overshadowing of the Holy Spirit went. Um, Mary is in the church. So if Mary's the Ark and she's in the church, it's saying that the Holy Spirit is found in the church. Does that make sense? So in the when the angel Gabriel says, oh, it'll be by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're overshadowed. If you're Jewish, you'd think, oh, that's what we've been waiting for. Does that make sense? So first hint. And then the visitation. Um, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, um, you would think, oh, um, I get it. Mary, sorry, Mary is the new ark. Just, you know, that opening uh, thing I read about David? Think about that. In about the 1000 BC, King David brings the ark from the hill country to the city of Jerusalem to give it a permanent home. And uh, uh, David discovers that in Obedidah's house, when the ark was kept there, all these miracles just bloomed. So David is going to, they're going to, for a second time, take the ark to, the, um, to, te to Jerusalem. And it says, David arose and went in haste to bring up the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and anyhow, um, if you look at that, he rejoiced. He danced before the Lord. So the same descriptions of how David went and got the Ark is the same descriptions of Mary visiting Elizabeth. So um, think about this. There's seven key parallels. Both were overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mary arose and went in haste to Elizabeth. Same wording as David. Um, Mary, where did Elizabeth live? In the same spot that Obedidim lived. Same place where the ark was kept. Uh, the ark stayed three months in the house of Obedidim. How many months did Mary stay with Elizabeth? Three months. I, I love this. Um, uh, our youth group, the girls of the youth group, uh, one night they had a question. He said, you keep saying every little thing in Scripture matters. What does it matter when it said um, Mary stayed three months? And I said, oh, it's, it's a, one of the signs that Mary is the ark. The fifth thing, King David leaps and dances before the ark of the Lord. John the Baptist leaps for joy in his mother's womb before his Lord. So, it's the same phrasing, but where it says Ark of the Lord in the Old Testament, it says Mother of the Lord. So if you're smart, you're thinking, wait, the only word that's changed is Ark and Mother. Oh, Mary the Mother is the Ark. Uh, Elizabeth shouts, um, how is it the Mother of my Lord has come to me? David shouts, how is it that the Ark of the Lord could come to me? Same lines, the only word um, changed is ark and mother. Or the high priest, um, uh, David acts as a high priest, which is really bizarre. Usually a king is not the high priest. He acts as a high priest, and think about this. Every sixth step on the seventh step, seven is a big number in Judaism, they have a sacrifice. Um, and so once a year on the uh, Feast of Atonement, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, and they tie, and I like this, they tie a rope on his foot um, because walking into the divine is dangerous. Now, I personally think every priest walking into the sanctuary um, should have a rope on his foot just in case I die. You could pull me out. And that's what, it, you know, just, hey, messing with God is a dangerous thing. So just in case the high priest died, you could pull him out by a rope. Um, I just think that's so funny. Um, 
But the heart ark was so holy. Now the ark wasn't holy. What was most holy was the bread of life in it. But because the bread of life was in it, you couldn't even touch the ark. Um, so um, anyhow, it had to be made of the purest gold and incorruptible wood. And remember, Uzziah uh, merely reaches out to touch the ark and dies. Um, and so if you're wondering, why is he talking about that? Why am I talking about that? Yes, that the, Mary is a consecrated virgin. Nobody is to touch her. Um, so you have that same thing. Does that make any sense? Um, uh, okay, so it's pretty obvious. Like right? You get these seven parallels, but more than that, Mary is the new ark. Make sense? Okay, so... Remember I spoke about Mary as a goel, a, the snake crusher? Um, in front of Elizabeth, after that, she gives a magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, God, she's going to be part of God's action of turning the world upside down. You know what's interesting about that is that in 1985, the apartheid government of South Africa banned lighting of the candles before Mary, and reciting that. They thought it instigated trouble. It also happened in El Salvador that you weren't allowed to recite Mary's Magnificat. But I kind of like that because um, I think if Mary is this religious new ark, carry her into battle, it is supposed to turn the world upside down. Mary is the tabernacle. And just like Mary... Just as the ark was important for worship, why shouldn't Mary? Mary's the first person to turn God into the body and blood of Christ. Um, and so Protestants were so anti-Catholic that they outlawed Christmas and Easter in the United States. Um, and the reason why, you guys, you guys didn't know that, right? Oh, yeah, in colonial times, you weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas and Easter. Um, because it was considered a Catholic feast. And um, I think Christmas Mass, it's Christ Mass, but they're, they weren't all just anti-Eucharist. They're anti-Mary. Um, but to me, that's so crazy, because then you're against the tabernacle. Does that make any sense? Um, and um, anyhow, I just think that's kind of amazing. So that's, um, that's Mary as a new ark. Does that make sense? Questions? I'm going to change subjects. Yeah. Instead of what? Oh, so it does say in Matthew that uh, Joseph did not know Mary until, it does say after, until the birth of uh, uh Jesus. But like people get hung up on the word until as if it means like, well, then after that, she wasn't a virgin. But think about this. If I said, um, um, I'm trying to mock somebody. Um, <laughs> I just haven't thought. I know I haven't thought of something. What's that? I know, I, I know, I'm trying to, th I just can't think of a subject to mock her. Let's say Paula is not going to use meth cocaine until she dies. Does that mean that Paula's going to become a meth addict after she dies? <laughs> no, it's just a point of time. Does that make sense? Until does not mean, well, then once Paula dies, she's becoming a meth addict. It means until means she wasn't. It's not saying she, what happened afterwards. Or if you said to your kids, um, I can't think of an analogy, but, you know, I know. You get the point. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that the opposite happened afterwards. Till the, well, that's a good example. Jesus said, I'll be with you till the end of the ages. Great one. It doesn't mean, well, okay, then I guess when you die, you're not going to be with Jesus. So 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Was it reopened? Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. Like, I love a statue of Mary. And I was kind of upset when we got here we didn't have one. Uh, in the church, because just using biblical imagery, it's saying, oh, the Holy Spirit is here. And I don't get, like, Protestants say, oh, no, we follow the Bible. Well, well, they can't see it because of our fallen nature. They hate Catholic, so anything Catholic is wrong, and then after that, you can't really read the Bible. Right. So, could I change to another subject? Um, in Luke, it says, her name was Mary. I have to admit, I love that line. But what does it mean? So, um, and this talk is going to be Mary as the new Miriam. So, remember, um, Christ, you have Moses, and the new Moses is Christ. But, so Moses, going back to Moses, um, if there's Moses, Moses' older sister was named Mary, or Miriam. Same exact word, just different language. Mary and Miriam is the same word. So, who's the first prophet in the Old Testament? And you want to say Moses, right? No. Who's the first prophet? Miriam, his older sister. So Miriam is the first prophet, but her story is this. Um, uh, supposedly, uh, Moses' parents decide they're not going to have children again because Egypt will just kill them. You have to hide it. And Miriam gives a speech. That, no, God is, life is more important. God is on our side. Um, so she gives us, no, have, have a child. And they do have a child, and it's Moses. And Miriam is the most important. Um, she's the one who comes up. She's the one who gets everything started. She's the one who says, have a child. She's the one who comes up with a plan to hide him. She's the one who comes up with a plan to save him by having been raised by um, Pharaoh's daughter. And the word Miriam, uh, in Egypt, um, it's derived from the root word love or beloved. But in Hebrew, and I don't really understand this, but um, I think Aramaic work, sorry, Arabic works the same way. Hebrew has like, every word has three root words. Arabic works the same way, right? So like Lydia, which is actually Greek, um, so that doesn't work. Um, but... <laughs> Like, her son's name is Safa, which is, means rock. But, and I don't know this, but she, you'd be able to say, oh, Safa also means uh, abnormally tall. And, like, it always works on some three base. Does that make sense? So, um, the word Mary is associated, one, with water. So, Mar means drop, like a drop of water. So sometimes you'll see it translated star of the sea, which I really don't like. It really would be drop of water. And remember, how did they get water in the desert? Miriam's rock. Um, the rock flowed with water. Here's an odd one. Mary can also mean the word bitter. So the 11th century Jewish commentator wrote that the name was given to the sister of Moses because um, the Egyptians had the uh, treated the Jews with such bitterness, 
And he wrote that, that the Israelites lived in Egypt for 210 years, including 86 years of cruel enslavement from the time uh, of Moses' eldest sister was born. And she was called Miriam because their life was bitter. But, and here's the important part. It's not saying that Mary is bitter. It's saying that Mary knows the cure for bitterness. Does that make sense? Um, that's a huge difference. So the name is associated with water and children, um, with the cure of bitterness. And I love this. The third meaning of the name Mary um, uh, is from the root word in Hebrew, to rebel. Because think of this. Miriam in Egypt, she started the rebellion. Moses led the rebellion, but she's the one, first one who spoke it. Do this. Does that make sense? So she's the, known as the first prophet in the Old Testament. And we would say that Mary fits all of those, secure forbiddenness. She's actually the, the first theologian. Um, so who's the first theologian in the New Testament? It's not Zachariah. It's Mary. Because remember... I've used this, overused this, but I still think, I, I'm a 13-year-old boy. Um, I find the f same things funny. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, and Zechariah lectures the angel Gabriel. Um, and in the book of Daniel, it says, Gabriel says that he won't return until it's the time of the Messiah. And so he goes to the priest, Zechariah, and says, oh, your 80-year-old wife is going to have a baby. And he starts lecturing, well, that's not natural. That's not how God works. And I love Gabriel, who gets angry and says, I am Gabriel! <laughs> I've been waiting hundreds of years in this. <laughs> and so he strikes him mute, because you're not allowed to tell God how God has to work. Um, Gabriel shows up to Mary, and Mary also asks how. But she's not saying no, God has to work according to my will. When she asks how, how can this be, since I don't know man, um, uh, she's asking a theological question. So Mary's the first pro um, Miriam is a first prophetess, and Mary is a first uh, New Testament theologian. Um, so does that make sense? So like for Marian devotions, I'm all for public displays of affection, of people. But why shouldn't we show public displection towards the first theologian, to the first Mary, the first theologian? Uh, does that make sense? And you'll get this thing, Protestants say, well, it's necromancing. Mary's dead and it's necromancing. No, necromancing in the Old Testament is using the dead for your own selfishness. It's not saying that there isn't a communion with the dead. Um, that's different. Does that make sense? Lose people? Okay, I love that about the name of Mary. So any questions about Mary as the new Miriam? Too bored with that? I know, I think, if you come from a line that says, I, I, the Bible only, it has to be in the Bible. My position is, oh, it's in the Bible, you just don't want to see it. So, this gets to the Immaculate Conception. So, here's the odd part. Um, the Immaculate Conception, we know from early Christian prayer books, it was in there. Uh, no. In the year 100, a little after 100, there's a reference to Mary as being born without sin. Um, now, the word immaculate conception didn't exist, but the concept of being born without sin did. Um, that the immaculate conception celebrates that she was born without original sin. And if the ark had to be pure as gold and pure, I'm, my point being is that it's illustrating the Immaculate Conception. Um, and the other thing is that when the angel Gabriel greets Mary, 
um, it said that the greeting was troubling uh, or controversial. All the angel said is, hail full of grace. By the way, it's, I know we change it. it doesn't, he didn't say, hail Mary full of grace. What he said was, hail full of grace. Now, this is a really odd part. In Greek, it's one word, and it's a new name. So every time you say hail, it's followed by um, the person's name. So I'd say, hail, oh, your name, it means peace, Irene. Hail, Irene. Or hail, and you'd say, Supreme Commander, my name. Um, so when the, when the angel says hail, you're expecting the name Mary, except then comes one word, a name, full of grace. Uh, and yes, the words are beautiful and angelic, but um, uh, here's the odd part. Um, uh, it also has great theological significance. Now, in Latin, it's plenia gratia, but that's two words. In Greek, it's just one word, and it's the word for grace. Um, but, okay, I'm going too much in this. I'm just going to skip this. Um, I love it because the Greek word, oh, I was going to tell you all that, but we're running out of time. Um, uh, the Greek word is, and <clears throat> I, I'm going to skip going over all the Greek. So blah, 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 blah. What the word trans, that one word should be translated was filled with grace, is filled with grace, will continue to be filled with grace. I know it's really bizarre, but Greek can work that way. So the question is, well, what do you mean was filled with grace? Because a lot of times you think, oh, she's graced. The moment the angel shows up, that's not what the angel said. The angel said she was graced, is graced, and will always be full of grace. Um, so... My point being is that it's a sign of the Immaculate Conception. Does that make sense? Um, when was Mary graced? Right from the very beginning. Okay, you had a question. The sinlessness of Mary. That doesn't mean she had full knowledge. She wasn't omniscient. She was always open to the grace of God when it appeared. She always said yes to every moment of grace. Enmity. And your seat. She never said no to God, yeah. I want to get to that later, but I do love that, wow, there's the seed of the woman, and seed in Hebrew can mean teaching, uh, not just DNA, it can mean teaching. So we'd say we're the seed of Abraham, but we'd also say, oh, we're seed of the, the virgin. We follow her teaching of saying yes to God. Or you can be the seed of Satan. So Satan has his children on earth, too. Um, but say, uh, Thomas Aquinas um, has these three things he says I like. First, as St. Thomas had noted in his commentary on the Virgin Mary, the angel's salutation to Mary was a complete reversal of the role in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, men revered angels. Here's the first example of an angel revering a human being. Does that, I love that. Um, so second, in the Greek text, he points out that Mary's name is missing. I mentioned that. It's hail full of grace. Um, so that's also news, uh, Mary's new name, but uh, I lost my place. Um, anyhow, uh, I mentioned that. St. Thomas Aquinas mentions that. Um, and the third is Mary's reaction to the angel's words is a giant clue. 
So here's the text again. And the angel, and the angel came and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women who have heard, having heard, was troubled at his greeting and thought to herself what manner of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not fear, Mary, for you have found grace with God. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and shall bring forth a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he shall be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God shall give him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there'll be no end. Mary said to the angel, How shall this be? Because I do not know man. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit shall come, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy, which shall be born of you, shall be called the Son of God. I know that's a lot to take in. The blessed are you among women, the Son of the Most High. but let's go back that she was troubled by the angel's greeting. Um, Mary apprehends that the angel is foretelling the birth of Christ. That's not hard to figure out. Um, but one wonders um, uh, why she'd be troubled about, since I know not man. But here's the odd part. If, let's say, Lydia gets married and the angel Gabriel shows up, and says, you will conceive a son. Like She's not going to say, well, how can that be? You're expecting to have children. Do you, you know what I mean? But uh, in the book of Leviticus, as you know, there are consecrated virgins who at a certain age in their teenage years, they would marry an older widower. Uh, and they would be married, but they would stay virgins. So... Um, Mary probably was a consecrated virgin. She gets, uh, as a teenager, she's consecrated. uh, Anyhow, she's consecrated in her youth, but then she would have aged out and be married by Joseph. Does that make sense? So the greeting only makes sense because you would expect to have children. If you're expecting to remain a virgin, you would say, how could that be since I know not man? Does that make sense? Um. Does that make any sense? That's, it just supports the immaculate conception. Or is that not the immaculate conception? A perpetual virginity. Um, okay, there's a lot to take in there. But anyhow, um, make sense or did I lose you on that one? Okay, so I, I'm just watching the time. So um, let's see. I did want to cover a couple apparitions. So... Um, but I don't know where my notes went. Um, so first, when it comes to the ark, oh yeah, go ahead. A new role. Right. So it changes the name because now she's going to fill a new world. She role. She was a consecrated virgin. Now her life is going to be that of a mother. Does that make sense? Um, So it would have been troubling. All right, did somebody take my notes? Um, Okay, I was hoping, um, oh, first, Immaculate Conception, New Ark. Um, Probably the uh, apparition that to me symbolized that is Lord's but I'm not really going to talk about Lourdes because I think most people know about Lourdes, right? I mean, it's a beautiful one. want to get there someday. But, um, yeah, where she says, I am the Immaculate Conception. So that fits that. But also, remember, the Ark is um, the center of worship for Judaism. So want to come up with another apparition. So this one, um, and that's why I was hoping... Uh, Karen Ebert would be here, but apparently she's skipping. Um, um, That's not what I want. Oh. Um, So I think, didn't you mention Wisconsin? So are you from Wisconsin? Oh, thank God. Um, 
So anyhow, um, I do love that one, so I'm going to mention. It's Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin, and it's the only approved Marian apparition in the United States. Um, and it happened in 1859. And there was three apparitions by the Blessed Virgin Mary to um, this Belgian uh, girl. And her name was Adele. Um, and in October 1859, Adele reports seeing a woman clothed in white standing between two trees, a hemlock and a maple. And Adele describes the woman as being surrounded by a bright light clothed in dazzling white with a a yellow sash around her waist, a crown of stars, um, and blonde hair. And she was frightened by the vision and uh, prayed it would disappear. And when she told her parents that she had seen it, they suggested it might be just one of the poor souls um, needing prayers. So on the following Sunday, October 5th, she saw the apparition for a second time while walking to Mass. And her sisters and the other woman who were with her, um, they asked where it was, and they couldn't see Our Lady. So she asked that her parish priest's advice, and he says, well, why don't you just say, in the name of God, who are you and what do you want with me? Um, so returning to Mass the same day, Mary appeared a third time, and she asked the question. And the lady replied, I am the Queen of Heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners, and I wish you to do the same. And gives her um, this command, gather the children in this wild country and teach them what they should know for salvation. Um, now, she didn't mean science. Uh, she meant the catechism. And she goes on to just teach them their prayers, teach them how to make the sign of the cross. And Adele was 28 years old at the time, and after that, she devoted her entire life to teaching children. And she would travel from house to house, a total of 40 miles. Um, and, of course, you know, these are Wisconsin people. They're not very open-minded. Um, joking. Uh, uh, anyhow, they said their children had chores. So Adele said, I'll do their chores if you let me teach them. And, of course, it's kind of clever. She would teach them the catechism, but the parents would overhear, overlisten, whatever. And then eventually they build this little school and a parish, um, uh, uh, school onto the parish. Um, so I like that one, that I just, the ark is also used for worship. Mary is a sign of worship, and children weren't getting their catechism, so Mary appeared. Does that make sense? Um, so, and I know Mary, remember, they're Belgium, so Mary always appears as the people. She's, oh, I forgot to put something up here. Um, I wonder where it is. So, blonde, does that make sense? Um, now, I wanted to show one more thing, but I don't know where it is. Um... So, let me just search for it real quick. Dang it. Oh, well. Shoot. Somebody's going to get fired. Um, so, um, I wanted to show them this map of... Um, uh, this Wisconsin fire is called the Peshko Fire. So um, this is Wisconsin. Wisconsin, you know, looks like your hand, in case you didn't notice. But there was just huge fire. 2,000 acres were born just uh, on this side. And not, not 2,000, that thousands of acres and 2,000 people died in this huge mega fire. Um, but... Uh, where the apparition took place, um, the fire is raging, and they all run to the parish and are praying in the parish. And this um, uh, Adele and all these gathered. The fire stops at the border of the parish. Um, 
and just continued on. And the amazing part is like even the fence posts, they're burned on the outside, but not the inside. I know, isn't that kind of amazing? Um, so a uh, little miracle there. Um, so it was this island of green among all this ash. So anyhow, I like that. Now, just because I think this is kind of funny. So that happened, that happened here, but over here where this river is, uh, below Sugarbush. Now, here's the odd part about this map, and I wanted to mock this for uh, Wisconsin people. There are two towns up here. Up here is Sugarbush, and out here is Sugarbush. So, like Karen Corpy was showing me this map. So he said, well, what? I want to know why there's two sugar bushes. And she says, well, I don't know why. But at this time, I said, well, why don't you know about the sugar bush? Why are there two sugar bushes? She says, don't talk to me about sugar bush. Don't ever speak about sugar bush. So I don't know why Wisconsin people are very touchy about that. <laughs> but on the town below sugar bush, when the fire was coming, I just, this, I just like the story. The priest there ran and grabbed the tabernacle and ran into the river. So uh, there, the tabernacle and him were saved from the fire. So I just like that story. But um, just the same way the uh, tabernacle is used in worship, uh, Mary comes to Adele to teach the kids about worship. So, Okay, questions, objections? Yes. Are you from Wisconsin? Oh, thank God. Oh, I hate that. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, no, he makes a really good point because I'm almost covered that, but now I can't find my notes. Um, no, that's because um, favored is um, some translations will take, the word in Greek clearly is grace, full of grace. But Protestants translated it fa favor. Um, the problem is, um, uh, that translation, favor, it doesn't involve the interior man and woman. It's chiefly concerned, if you said, I did you a favor, that's an external in, uh, circumstance. I can do a favor for you without any internal grace, change in you. So grace applies a spiritual state of inner, an inner condition. Does that make sense? Um, so, uh, you can have this intense state of grace, uh, but favor is just some exterior thing that, and a superior person does you a favor. Does that make any sense? So, like, Protestants translate grace as favor, but that's actually a terrible translation, and it's trying to undermine, um, the Immaculate Conception. Does that make sense? Burn it. <laughs> if you love Jesus, burn it. No, like, this sounds kind of strange, but uh, theologians would say, no, come on. And there's like seven things wrong with the translation favor versus grace. One, because the word is grace, not favor. Um, favor is just an exterior thing you do. And if I do you a favor... Um, you know, big deal. It, it doesn't change my name or being. But you say, full of, she who was graced, is graced, will be graced. That's a higher theological call. But good, so that's why Protestants will always say, she's just, she was favored. She just, God did her a favor. All right, well, we've gone an hour, so um, I forget what we're doing next week. But, no, wait, do we meet next week? Oh, I think, yeah, next week should be the last Tuesday, and that's when I do the podcast. 
So we'll meet after that. So, all right. So, glory. Oh, you know, I haven't decided. I want to teach a class during Lent because I like classes, but Lent, there's a lot to get ready for, so I haven't really decided if we're going to have class during Lent. I don't, I don't think I have time. And I, I, you know, I have a heart for evil. Um, I was joking. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to do the theology of evil because I find it fascinating. So, but if I have time, we'll do it. I don't know. I'll... I'll decide today at staff meeting. So, all right. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comments section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.